Welcome to The Sleep Sessions. I'm your host, Dara Whitaker. This podcast is a place for women to share their successes and challenges of adapting to life and sleep after a new baby. Whether you're expecting your first or a mother of five, you can listen in weekly to learn, feel supported, and celebrate each other's unique experiences. Today, I'm speaking with a very special guest, Laura Hunter, who is the co-founder and author of Moms on Call. As a thank you, Laura is giving listeners 20% off of their online baby sleep course. You can get 20% off by going to mockourses.com and entering promo code SLEEP20 at checkout. Again, that's SLEEP20. Hi, Laura. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really happy to have you and I'm excited to hear more about your story and get the inside scoop behind how Moms on Call came to be. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited. Good, me too. Can you start by telling listeners a little bit about you and your family? Well, I am, of course, a wife. Uh, I'm a pediatric nurse, been a pediatric nurse for almost 30 years now. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, author, speaker. I go into the homes of new families. But the most important job title that I've had is being a mom of five kids. So uh, they are 29 21. I have twin 18 year old boys who are seniors this year. And it's just, oh. it's been tough. All those last. And, um, and then I have, uh, we call him little handsome Brent, who is 16, almost 17. You have your hands full. We really do. It is. It's a crazy, a different kind of crazy uh, as they've gotten older, but it is still chaos. It's just a different type of chaos. For sure. I mean, that's a big family. Did you anticipate having a big family? Did you always dream of that? No. Um, <laughs> we were actually kind of that two two kid kind of family. We had the two girls and we were like, great. You know, it took eight years to, to get the second. Uh, we had had some miscarriages and tried to get pregnant and couldn't get pregnant and, and finally got pregnant with Allison, who was our second daughter. And we were we were done. We were like, this is great. We have two girls, the dog, the cat. My husband's 10 years older than I am. Uh, so we were really done. Uh, got pregnant uh, unexpectedly with what we thought was number three. And we had had a couple of ultrasounds. They swore it was only one. And at 20 weeks, found out it was identical twin boys. Oh, my. <laughs> Got over the shock of it. And, and we thought, okay, we can handle this. You know, this is great. This is, this is incredible. And uh, my husband actually had a vasectomy when the twins were a couple months old. And 10 months later, I was pregnant with little handsome. So there's actually 18 months difference between the twins and Brent. Wow. Yes. And so it was, it was a little crazy and, and we would not have it any other way. Um, nobody could have prepared us for how loud the house is. Um, it is loud and I've got great kids, but it is loud from the moment they get up to the time they go to bed, even mm -hmm. still as teenagers, it's just loud. The house is loud. And, uh, but it has been just such a blessing and uh, it's been a lot of fun. 
That's amazing. Is there anything listeners should know about any of your birth stories? Well, I've I've done, I haven't had a C-section. All of my children were born vaginally, um, but I have had full-term babies and I've had preemie babies. My twins were actually 31-weekers um, and Brent, little handsome, was 34 weeks. And uh, But probably the twins, of course, were, were the scariest uh, of my deliveries. I actually made it to the hospital and within 30 minutes delivered Blake and two minutes later delivered Patrick. So um, there was no time for any medications or anything. It was just, here they are. And uh, You're lucky you didn't have them in the car. Oh, well, <laughs> I started wanting to push it at 285 and 75 here in Atlanta is a big junction. And thank goodness it was, you know, four o'clock in the morning and not during rush hour traffic. But um, yeah. I started to want to push there at 285 and 75 and uh, made it just in time and uh, to have those those babies. But it, and it was scary, you know, so I had both of them uh, vaginally uh, and they were preterm. I'd been in preterm labor for several, several weeks. So I was thankful that we were able to help them along help develop their lungs a little bit and I do know it made a difference we were only in the hospital about 10 to 12 days with them uh, after delivery so I was able to bring them home pretty quick so very very grateful for those docs and nurses that took such great care of them yeah that's amazing that you said they were born at 31 weeks mm-hmm. and they only had to stay for 12 days yeah that's incredible. 10 days I think I brought Blake home at 10 days and brought Patrick home at 12 or it may have been the other way around um and but yeah they were 12 days was the max in the in the NICU but I am convinced it's because of all the work that we did prior to them getting here um just to make sure that those lungs were were good and trying to beef them up as much as we could right well, I'm sure it was pretty chaotic when you were finally able oh, to bring them home. <laughs> yes, it was, it was absolutely chaotic and crazy. And, uh, you know, with the twins, we um, lived in a very small home. And so we had to have them in our room. Uh, there, there was no other option. There wasn't a closet or a small bedroom or an extra room that we, we had two other kids. And uh, so we had to to make some some arrangements in our room and so they were actually in our room for the first several weeks and then we were able to put the girls and move some things around and and get them into their routine uh, in their own room so but we were swaddling and using that sound machine with them and and we had you know just that routine because of the two older girls it was important for us to to have them on a routine just to be able to function so a lot of times we'll get questions of, you know, solid foods and when you start feeding them solid foods. And one of my favorite things when they were old enough to start picking up food and feeding themselves was it was a I looked at it as an activity. <laughs> it was something that I could do with them before they had to go back down for a nap. So being able to put them in the high chair, they were contained for at least 10 minutes uh, and safe. Then I was able to let them explore whether it was, I can remember one time in uh, very specifically putting the high chairs out. We had a deck uh, off our back door and I could put the high chairs on the deck and I don't know, the twins were probably 12 months old maybe. 
and uh, and they were just in their diapers sitting in that high chair strapped in and letting them finger paint with pudding and it made the biggest mess and it was the most fun memory that I have because here they are both of the boys they're talking their language talking at each other making a mess with this pudding all over their tray and all over them um but there was just something about allowing them to to have that time and we and we did stuff like that all the time um just allowing them to explore but the high chair was a great place of containment uh for 10 minutes at a time when I needed to to get something done, whether it was emptying that dishwasher or getting dinner going. But that was all pre-moms on call. That was just strictly how am I going to survive the day to day with now four kids in different ages and kind of going in in different directions. How was I going to survive that? Right. Did you follow a routine with the two girls or did the routine kind of start with the boys? I did follow. I was actually a pediatric nurse in California with the second. And um, and so I've always been kind of that type A person. So there was always a routine, um, but probably nothing that was actually written down and followed until the twins. Okay. How was it when Brent was thrown into the mix. Oh my gosh. So, you know, <laughs> at that, at that point, so my husband traveled a ton and so we didn't have nannies. We didn't have night nurses. We had no family in the area. We had moved to Atlanta uh, when Allison was a year old. So, so we didn't have a, you know, a core group of, of friends or family close by. And here I was on call uh, for a busy pediatric practice here in Atlanta and uh, and really had to learn pretty quickly <laughs> how to prioritize. And um, and my type A personality really had to kind of take a back seat. So, you know, sometimes the laundry didn't get switched in time before it soured, you know. Uh, yes, I know that too well. Yes, three times. And, uh, and sometimes those dishes didn't make it into the dishwasher. And uh, there were many, many times. So I'll, I'll explain how the bedtime routine was in my house, especially once we brought Brent into the mix. And um, so I would get into my master bathroom. Now remember, we had no help. And so we'd get into the master bathroom and I had an area where there were diapers and wipes and pajamas and some extra toys, you know. Uh, to play and then we were all locked in my bathroom so that way at least I could keep my eye on everybody you know and yeah and the five-year-old would get her bath and she'd get her pajamas on and she would play or help me with the boys and then I'd get the twins done you know and they would or I'd get Brent done and get him and then they would get dressed and play with their toys and then I could finish up with Brent or vice versa and um and then we all got dressed in my master bath so bathroom. So everybody would get their diapers on and their pajamas on and we would sing some songs and, you know, but it was chaos. I, I still think if there was such a thing as reality TV back then, <laughs> they would have so loved to, to see because it had to look like a three ring circus, you know. And, uh, and then at that point, we would all go into the oldest one's room. And that's really where we just had sweet tender time. And whether that was reading a book together or singing a song or praying over our kids. And, and, and then, you know, when, when dad was home, we would divide and conquer. Uh, and that would help get some of that one-on-one time. But, 
of all the things that I have done over the years, that evening routine is still one of the most important times in our house. And it continues to be that way, even though our kids are about grown. It's just one of those sweet, sweet things. And that's when uh, Brent was about a week old when I actually started Mom's On Call. It was a folder that I printed out and would start going into the homes of, of new families and just sharing what I was doing in my house and trying to answer those calls that we were getting in the middle of the night, trying to give them the answers to that so that they wouldn't feel the need to call in the middle of the night. And really over and over and over again, uh, after those visits, parents were more confident. And when you're confident, you tend to make better decisions. Things just tend to go better um, when we have a plan and when we know what direction we're going in. Right. Did the um, routine that you were sharing with parents at that time, is it pretty similar to what Moms on Call is today? It is almost identical. And it's so funny wow. because that was almost 17 years ago. Brent will be 17 at the beginning of April. And um, so it was almost 17 years ago. And just recently, I got in the mail a three-prong binder. It's purple. And on the front has my little sticker. And it came with a note from a mom that I had done a consult for 16 years ago. And, wow. and I, of course, I'm just boohooing, you know, and and yeah. so she, she just sent this note of, of what that visit meant for her and her family. And so when I look through that book, it is very similar. That, that folder, it's very similar to, to what's now sold over 500,000 copies of, of Moms on Call. And it's, it's very similar. Kind of that outline format. The times have changed just a little in one of the routines, but almost identical all these years later. That is amazing. And it's something that you started when you had a one week old at home. <laughs> it was out of desperation because I was still taking call. So I was still on call. We were one of the only practices here in Atlanta that had their own nurse take call at night. Um, and so there wasn't a lot of, I didn't have anybody that could take my place. And so I was still on call, still trying to take these calls, still trying to, to run my own family and really just realizing how desperate families were because again when you go back 17 years ago you know you had the big desktop computers very few people had laptops and you weren't getting the internet on your phone but the beginning of that you know wide world web was really coming into play so people were getting a lot of information and I really feel it was information overload and um because and and of course now it's even magnified um, so much because when you and it's not that there's all these different options and the truth be told whatever works in your house with the way that you have set things up and the way that you've decided to run your house is the right way to do it you know there are you know it, yeah. there's many many different but if you have one question and ten different people are telling you ten different things. What gets shaken is your confidence. You're just not sure what direction to go. And I felt that, like, I just need a plan. I just need to know that this is how things are going to go, at least within uh, a right-hand line and a left-hand line. So, yeah, Brent was six, was a week old when I actually 
started that folder and, uh, and started going into those homes. So did you take any maternity leave or were you right back into it? I was right, right back into it. I actually, oh I actually think that, I mean, I'm sure I took a few, few days off. Um, I can remember, <laughs> and I can't remember if it was with the twins or with Brent. I can't remember which one, but I can remember actually taking a call while in labor. I'm almost sure it was Brent um, because he was. You're kidding. Yeah, so I can remember. <laughs> taking a call and being like, you know, Jen, Jen's going to take over here in just a little bit. But, you know, cause I think it was a mom with, with a kid that was vomiting or something. And so, you know, doing the follow-ups and I can remember saying, you know, Jen's going to be taking over here in just a little bit. So call back if, if that kid's still vomiting, you know, and I, there I was in, in labor that night. So um, not much maternity leave, but again, I was so thankful to have a job that allowed me to stay at home and be with my kids and to be able to run my home that, um, that I was willing to do whatever it took to, to be able to stay there and stay at home. And I actually did that for 20 years. So um, I was on call 90 hours a week, probably took you know a couple hundred phone calls a week for almost 20 years. So um, I did retire from that a couple of years ago and, and still miss it quite often to be truthful. But you're still helping people. I am. So So I am still going into the homes and still have my sweet clients and families that I partner with. And and it really does make a difference. That's amazing. Did the routine work equally as well for all five of your children? Or were there a few that, you know, were a little bit of stragglers? Yes. No. The routine, the basics of the routine worked great across the board. The only difference is I found that, especially with Brent being the fifth, you know, child, there was a lot more on the go. You know, we had to, we had soccer games and we had preschool and kindergarten nights and we had, so there was a lot more naps that were just done on the go and and in car seats and at the park and, you know, um, trying to keep everybody busy. Uh, But those main what we call C times, those main times really gave me a place that I could always reset. I could always get things back on track uh, with those C times throughout the day. So I would say across the board, the routine pretty much worked and allowed us that freedom and predictability that we needed as a large family. Right. I'm sure that was very helpful for you managing all of their schedules. What was the earliest that any of your children um, my twins actually slept through the night uh, by their due date so they were sleeping you know 10 11 hours by their due date um, with the right swaddle right sound machine right routine and that was pre-moms on call so that was just what I was doing by the seat of my pants um, but most yeah. I think um, I don't remember with Kayla because that was almost you know 30 years ago so don't remember specifics with her. Allison was absolutely sleeping through the night by um, eight weeks of age when I had to go back to work. Um, and then the twins were by their due date. So that was probably somewhere around seven or eight weeks actual age. And then um, Brent was just, he was the biggest premature baby ever. Um, and so <laughs> he was, you know, of course he was bottle fed. And so I, I, believe he was sleeping through the night 
right around that eight week mark too. So I think all of them were, you know, pretty close to that eight, eight week mark. And it may not have been every night, but it was more nights than not. Can you see the impacts of having that structure now in oh, your life? What a great question. I love that. So absolutely. <laughs> so um, as my kids, you know, of course, all of them got into school and, and then, uh, and then into middle school, starting in about middle school, um, my kids, all my kids were always in bed, typically between eight and nine o'clock at night, even through middle school. And they knew what time they had to get up in the morning. The day started at six thirty in the morning. That's just the way it was. Um, but starting in middle school, I no longer woke my kids up. They had to to get up and get. I'd have breakfast done and breakfast ready for them to go. But they had to get themselves downstairs. Um, to get that. And so even as now they're becoming into, you know, adults, they're, they have jobs and they're in high school and there's, I have two that are actually taking college courses their senior year. So they have to go to college uh, throughout the week, but they have been very self-sufficient um, in the routine part. And I can't help but to think that it's because we set those things in place all along. So my kids get up, like Patrick will have a class at eight o'clock in the morning and he's up and goes and I've never had to wake them up. Um, and typically, even even now as, as grown kids, typically by about 9.30, 10 o'clock, they're getting ready to go to bed because they get up at 6.30 in the morning. So, um, so it absolutely made a difference, I think, as they got older, that that's just the way the house runs and uh, and what those expectations are well good do you have any tips or anything else you want to share or any resources that really helped you along your journey well you know I believe that really what I learned over this adventure uh, that is that us as parents even when we do things very differently I've got some of my best friends who who parent completely different than I do. And I love them and adore them. Uh, and they are great parents, even though they don't do things the way that I did my house. They're still incredible people. And, and really what I think we've learned is that we have a lot more in common than we think. And I think that, as I shared earlier, I think the one thing that we all have in common is that we love our kids. And that the differences in the way that we parent or feed, because even in my house, I have nursed, I nursed and did bottles with the twins, and I did formula only with the last one. He was, you know, he was the fifth kid, he was early, it was, you know, um, so he went straight to formula, he turned out okay, he turned out okay, and, uh, and that whether or not we're stay-at-home parents or we're working parents, that um, really it isn't near as important those differences aren't near as important as what brings us together and and that's the love that we have for our kids and for our families and we're just all trying to do the best that we can do in our homes to raise up decent human beings you know and uh, and I think that if we can remember that our kids are strong adaptable and resilient man we can really do this thing called parenting. We can make better decisions when we believe in our kids. And really, we won't get it right all the time. And our kids are not going to be perfect. My kids are not perfect. In fact, I look for opportunities when they fail 
because it's in those failures that I'm able to come alongside them, that they can learn how to get up and dust themselves off and we can walk out how to move forward together. And, uh, and to me, that is so important because when they can fail and get back up, they figure that out in our house, then they can figure out how to help in their community and their school. And, and then of course, eventually in their own homes. So always just trying to come from, from that perspective of our kids are strong, adaptable, and resilient. And actually we are too, as parents. We're, we might start off one way and quickly realize that that way isn't going to help us. And, and so we change course and we figure out another way. And, and that's okay, too. We're adaptable. We're strong. We're resilient. And our kids are, too. So if we can keep that in, in the forefront, I think we tend to, to make a, a lot better choices and run our homes. And I'll often always go back to, to giving ourselves grace. Um, you know, grace to not do it right and grace to mess up and grace to go get ice cream at nine o'clock at night because that's just what we want to do that night. And um, so grace goes a long way. Thanks so much for listening in. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and follow us on Instagram at at the sleep sessions.